As today is a day of prayer for crops and labor, we'll be reading a passage in connection with that. The passage this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And you'll be able to find that on page 2 of your pew Bible. Genesis 1 has been a description of God's handiwork as He creates the heavens, the earth, the whole universe. And in our passage here in Genesis 2, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out from Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidakal. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. 
And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So far, the word of God. The text that we will be looking at in particular for this morning is taken from Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Beloved congregation of our Savior and Lord, today is a day of prayer for crops and labor. To many of you young people, a day of prayer for crops and labor may seem a little old and outdated. Of course, you may still recognize that many of the people in our congregation are farmers, but what about the rest of our churches? Many of them are in cities. The vast majority of our church members are not farmers. Why do we need a day of prayer for crops and labor right at the beginning of a new season of fieldwork? Well, it might be pointed out that it's a prayer for crops and labor. It's important to bring all of our work, all of our labor before the Lord, whether in the field or in the office or in the power plant or in the home. But there's something more meaningful by choosing the beginning of a new season of field work for this day of prayer. There's something about the nature of fieldwork that highlights our dependence on the Lord in all our work. It reminds us to the Apostle Paul when he's busy speaking about the gospel. And he says, with regards to that, when he preached it, he says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. There's a real sense of dependence there. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But from there, it was dependent on the Lord our God to do the work. And what does this mean for the people who are on the receiving end after the time of harvest rolls around? Well, there, Paul goes on to write, So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. In the same way, With all our work, we're reminded that it's not the one who plants and not the one who waters who is anything, but it is God who gives the increase. It is God who makes it grow. We are completely dependent on Him in all of our labors. But then the question arises, if it's God who does all the hard work, even when we set our tools aside, then what's the point? Can't we sit back and just be completely dependent on God? Depend on Him to give us everything? And indeed, what is the point? Today we'll be examining that question under the following theme and points. God has given us work as a gift. And we'll see, first of all, our work from the beginning, second, our work after the fall, and third, our work in Christ. Work has been something that's been with us ever since the creation of the world. Now, many people are under the mistaken opinion that it's just a part of the drudgery of life. It's just a part of the brokenness of this world that we need to work. 
There was a popular song that was on the radio about 10 years ago, which had as its course, everybody's working for the weekend. The song was a huge hit because it just resonated with so many people. You work for the weekend. You work to be able to have time off. Your goal as a teen or younger person is a short-term fulfillment. But even as an older person, there was a recognition that they wanted to work, maybe not for the weekend necessarily, but certainly for retirement. In society today, you're not working because you're necessarily enjoying your job, although there are many people who do. But for many, you're working to put food on the table and have a little bit on the side to be able to celebrate with. Society today wants the good things in life because, as so many commercials put it, you deserve it. You work towards those good things. You work towards a weekend, a holiday, a better house, a better car, a bigger shop, or a bigger boat. And once you have them, you look towards the next thing that you work towards. Now, there's nothing wrong with working towards supplying our needs. In fact, it's very, a very important thing to do. The Apostle Paul commands the Thessalonians in dealing with their fellow congregation members in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. A refusal to work when you're capable of it is a reason for shame, and that carries with it a price. So it is a good thing to work towards supplying our needs. We read in the book of Ecclesiastes that it's also a good thing to work with regards to enjoyment. But it's not just for the sake of food that we work, nor for just our enjoyment. It's not just for the sake of supplying for our most basic needs or for celebrating. Our work has a deeper meaning to it. And as we pray to God today for our crops and labor this coming year, it's good to reflect on that deeper meaning. The very first gardener that the earth ever had was God himself. We see here in Genesis that God, as the master gardener, created every grand vista of this world. The mountains are his rock garden. The forests and the fields are his handiwork, having spoken each leaf and blade into existence. The seas are as ponds to him. The book of Job speaks of him delighting in the frolicking of the mighty Leviathan and the monsters of the deep, as we might delight in seeing the dear creatures that have been entrusted to us as they play in our backyards. But the Lord also made a special garden in the midst of all his creation, a place of orchards and bushes, of birds and fruit trees, a place where animals of all kinds were gathered together, and a place of special peace and safety. It was a place of unique beauty in the world. It was the very first true garden. And it's in this place where God chose to place the chief creation of all his creatures. In our text we read the words, Then the Lord took man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Now here we can see that from the beginning God created man with a task. From time to time we see advertisements that refer to holiday destinations as paradise with a picture of a man or woman lying in the sun chair in the shade of a palm tree. And this might seem like an idyllic scene. It can be nice for a short while to enjoy something like that. 
But God didn't create us to function in that way. And so we get restless after a time. The Garden of Eden wasn't some resort location where Adam and Eve lay back eating fruit from the trees and enjoying the sunshine. Instead, it was a place for them to work and to enjoy the fruit of their labor. They were to be stewards of the garden that God placed in their care to tend it and to keep it. They weren't placed in there because they were needed by God to tend this garden. In fact, he had just finished creating the whole world. Why would he need someone? But they were placed there because God delighted in his creatures, glorifying him through their work. It delighted him to create mankind in a way that would bring praise to him by what they did. Now, it's interesting to see the nature of their task, isn't it? God created the world. God spoke and formed this planet with all of its intricacy and beauty. We read in Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hand. Day pours forth speech to day. Night after night displays knowledge. All of creation is spoken into existence from nothing. All is kept in balance and order restrained from absolute chaos by his providence, by his upholding hand. The laws of nature are kept beautifully arranged and perfectly ordered. The seasons all progress one after another. And all this is a sign of God's tending and keeping this perfect world that he had created. Now mankind was placed as a steward over this earth. He was placed as a caretaker over this planet that we call home for the short duration of our lives. And he too was given a task. In a reflection of God's own work, his own tending and keeping of the world, God allowed man to have the opportunity to share in that. Man's tending and keeping of the garden forming further beauty and order out of what God had placed there, allowing it to flourish under the careful boundaries and pruning that man had placed around the garden. This was meant to be a constant reminder of God's own care. It was a constant memorial to the fact that God himself had placed order on the world and that just as the land was created to be cultivated under man's care, so too man himself was created to prosper and to flourish under God's care. But in the same breath, this work was also God's way to provide for man. We read in Genesis 2 verse 9, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The trees loaded with delicious fruit was a gift from God. And man by his cultivation could increase the yield and reap the benefit of those trees. Even from the very beginning, work was God's blessing through which mankind received his daily food from the Lord. Now that is something to reflect on. When you receive your paycheck at the end of the month, it's not you who are providing for your family. As the Apostle Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Your breath, your health, 
your strength to carry out your work, the mind with which you learn the skills to do your work, your life itself. These are all a gift from the Lord. And He maintains you in these things. Every day that you're able to go to work, you are indebted to God because you know that the moment that He withholds any of these gifts, you'll be unable to carry on. Your monthly or your bi-weekly paycheck is God's gift. Your work is God's gift. Do you receive it as such? When you get your check at the end of the month, do you give thanks to God for Him providing for you in this way? It's very easy to see it as our own work. But it's the loving hand of our faithful God and Father who's providing for us. Your work is God's gift, and He provides for you through this gift of work that He gives you. But we know that man fell. Sadly, this fall had a profound effect on the rest of creation as well. God declared to man in Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And it's at that point that we are brought to see the effects that the fall had on this world. Everything's affected by our sin. Even our daily toil is affected by our sin. Thorns and thistles raise up in every aspect of our work, literal or figurative. You just need to look back on this past week in your work, wherever you're working, to be able to recognize that. There are thorns and thistles in your life. Suddenly, sin also affects our relationship with our work. There are many, because of the fall into sin, who begin to see work as nothing more than a burden, and they avoid it like the plague if they can. As we read in Proverbs 22, verse 13, the lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. I can't go out to work today. There's all kinds of hazards out there. Laziness strongly affects their perspective of work, and any reason that they can, they'll avoid it. Again, we read in Proverbs 15, verse 19, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. Every task is a chore for the lazy man. And every opportunity is a stumbling block. It's a hedge of thorns that he doesn't feel like fighting his way through. But God blesses the industriousness of the upright. Now, the aversion to work that sin creates in man is not a godly attitude. God placed man in the garden to work. And though man fell and work became more difficult, that work is still there. And it's there as one of the ways that God provides for man. It was one of man's blessings in the garden, and it continues to be that even after the fall. And that's something that's incredible that it continues to be God's blessing on us even after the fall. Now, 
we know that even with the most diligent of workers, there are difficulties that arise in our work. Each of us has thorns and thistles. We have angry bosses. Those who work with technology have it fail on them. Those who work in the dairy industry have to deal with mastitis. Landscapers have to deal with rain and difficult customers. Yet in all of that, we can recognize it as a blessing to actually have work. Despite the fact that we fell and we deserve nothing, God still blessed us with the gift of work. He still provides for his people through their daily toil. And he uses it not just for the benefit of the people themselves, but he's able to use it to the benefit of those who suffer more from the effects of this broken and sinful world than we do. We read in Ephesians 4 verse 28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands in what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has in need. Labor. Working so that you may not only be able to provide for yourself and for your family, but so that you may have the incredible blessing of being able to help others. In a small way, this is a reflection of what God does, isn't it? We have the opportunity to model being made in the image of God who worked to create and works to uphold the universe. And despite our sin and our undeservingness, He gives us everything we need for body and soul out of the riches of His storehouses. Beloved, when we, beloved, we do live in a sinful and broken world. But when we work, not just for our own needs, but so that we can have something to give, we let those who are around us have the smallest fraction of a glimpse into this world as it was meant to be before the fall. When we give to others and we alleviate their suffering even a little bit, to relieve them enough so that they can lift their hearts and worship to God without worrying where their next meal will come from. We let them have a little taste of what heaven is like. For heaven is where we are devoted to worship. And in heaven, our work becomes worship. Our work is worship. Because in heaven, even our work will be redeemed through Christ. When we come to heaven, we'll experience the full redemption of ourselves, and that includes the redemption of our work. We read in Revelation 14, verse 13, that those who die in the Lord may rest from their labors. All of the stress and strain, the sweat, blood, and tears of our labor will be past. It'll be behind us. But the Lord doesn't leave us to sit around in heaven. We read in Revelation 21 that everything will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now it won't simply be one small part of the world that's devoted to a garden that God will place mankind in. Rather, it will be a whole new planet, a whole new universe for us to explore, to work, to cultivate, and to delight in. It will be renewed. And in Revelation 22 verse 3, we read how it will be an opportunity for us to live and to thrive in the service of God. But here is where it gets even more amazing. 
for many of you here who work day in and day out, and you think, work is, work is good, it's a good thing, I see that it's a gift from God, but I'm just so tired after I get home at the end of the day. I work at sunrise and I labor throughout the day and the sun goes down and I'm just so tired. And I deal with all of the aspects of the curse in my work and that makes my labors from day to day just that much more difficult and I'm just so tired. Well, this is where it becomes truly beautiful for us. The curse under which mankind suffered will be lifted. Our Lord said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's true. That's true, even when it comes to our daily work. And that's something that we'll be able to experience in its fullness. We'll be able to taste the depth of the riches of His love. Our work will no longer be by the sweat of our brows, scratching out a living simply to be able to survive from one day to the next. But work will be a sweet expression of worship. And even better than that, work will be a joy. Work will be a joy. Those days when we come to work and we think, I would rather not be here, will be placed behind us. For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who put their trust in Him, they will be able to experience the full redemption that He has to offer. The full transformation. All of the effects of the curse will be left behind and they'll be able to taste it in its fullness. Once again, it'll be as it was in the garden with all of the effects of the curse gone. It'll be pure and it'll once again be a way in which God will truly and fully delight in the works of the hands of His creatures. So when we pray for crops and labor today, we're not just praying for something that we find a drudgery. Rather, we're praying for God's blessing on the way that He provides for us. We're praying recognizing that we receive what we have from the hand of the Lord and that we are completely dependent on Him for every part of it. We're praying Asking that by our work we would be able to bring glory to God, to bring praise and honor to Him. We're praying that we begin to taste the effects of paradise in this life. And that people who we work with can already begin to feel the effects of that in our day-to-day -day lives. We're praying looking forward with great eagerness to the day when we will experience even our work within the framework of the fullness of the redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the meantime, let us pray to find meaning in our work, namely that we could glorify God and expand His kingdom by it, no matter where we find ourselves, 
no matter what we find ourselves doing. Let even our daily work show our dependence on the provision and the care of our loving Father. And let us pray, looking to this year of labor ahead of us with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 17. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen.